The $1 bill. We use them almost every day in our coffee shops and vending machines. In fact, roughly 58 million bills are printed each morning to ensure that Americans can purchase everything from cappuccinos to cars. But have you ever paused to look at what our money claims? In 1956, it was proposed and passed into law that all our currency declare, in God we trust. It sometimes seems we live each day trusting only what we have and fearing what we need. What would it mean for us if we let the motto on our dollar bills speak to our needs, more than just empty words tucked away in our back pockets and purses? When it comes to our money and to our lives, is it in God we trust? All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing? My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And at Liquid, we are one church in many locations. So before we jump in, we join me in welcoming those that are watching across all of our campuses or even watching online. We're so excited to have you guys here with us today. Especially as in we are in our new series, In God We Trust. This is our second week in this, where we're really kind of looking at what is on the back of our dollar bill. It says, In God We Trust. But if you look at our culture and our society, it seems like we trust anything and everything else instead of God, our wealth or our privilege or our ability to make money or sometimes even just dumb luck. But what would it look like if we actually took the radical step to say we're going to serve Almighty God over and against the Almighty Dollar? And so this is a biblical stewardship series where really we want something for you and your family, and that's to walk in financial freedom. And the first step of that is to kind of give God first in the areas of our finances. Well, listen, I'm excited to share this with you that uh, last week we kind of kicked off our series with the 90-day tithe challenge, and we had over 900 people respond. Can we just give a praise to God right now for that? Because... This is an awesome step of faith for many of you who are the, taking this kind of step of faith for the first time of tithing. And as Pastor Tim was saying last week, tithing is really when we say we are going to give the first 10% of our income to God. We're going to tithe the first 10%. We're going to say this is yours, God. We're going to give God our first and our best and see how God blesses us. Because what God was doing when he first instituted the tithe was he wanted his people, the children of Israel, to not live above their means, not even within their means, but actually beneath their means so that they would know that their provider is God above and not finances or money or things like that. In the same way, that's what we do. And in fact, God is saying to us when it comes to the tithe, I'm challenging you. Test me to see if you give the first 10%, I will bless the rest. It says this in Malachi 3 verse 10. He says, test me in this, says the Lord, all God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Translation, if we give God our first and our best, he's going to take care and bless the rest. That's why God says, challenge me, test me in this. That's why, guys, we're going to be doing the 90-day tithe challenge as a church this spring. So maybe you're here today and you're not a tither and you're like, I want to take that next step of faith. Here's the challenge. For the next three months, tithe 10% of your income towards the church, the place where you're getting spiritual sustenance, where you're being spiritually fed, and see what God's going to do. Usually, most people were tippers, right? We kind of pull out our wallets and whatever's in there we give. But what if we take that next step and become tithers? I know for my wife and I, we were tithing. We started tithing when we first got married. And we've seen God's provision in some pretty incredible ways. And so I'm not saying this trying to sell you on it. I'm actually a satisfied customer. There's something that happens when we say we're going to put God first and ourselves next. 
And here's what's neat is that we do this no-risk kind of, you know, 90-day tithe challenge comes with a money-back guarantee. So if you're kind of going through this and you're like, I'm not really seeing God in this, I don't feel like God's blessing me either financially, spiritually, or relationally, we offer a complete money-back guarantee, no questions asked. Because here's what we believe here at Liquid Church. We believe that you can't outgive God, amen? You can't outgive God. And we believe so much in the principle of tithing that we've seen God move through it that we want to challenge our people to kind of walk in that same way. And so if you signed up for the 90-day tithe challenge, we want to say welcome. We'll be praying with you as you're kind of walking through this. And if you sign up for the 90-day tithe challenge, we actually have a gift for you. And it's a book by Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle, Unlocking the Secret of Joyful Giving. And it's not too late to sign up for the 90-day tithe challenge. If you're thinking about it, uh, you can do it either go online to liquidchurch.com. If you go to our Liquid Church app, you can sign up for it in the app as well. But whatever you need to do to kind of take that next step, it's going to be great to see how God is going to move in your life through that. Now today's message, I'm going to be building on this idea of tithing with a message called Act Your Wage. We're kind of looking at some of the biblical practical steps of how we can actually manage our money. But before we do that, I've got just an honest confession I need to make to you guys. Can you guys keep a secret? You promise? Okay. All right, great. I feel like I can trust you guys with this. Um, Whenever it comes to talking about finances, I feel super insecure. And the reason for that is, you know, when I'm preparing a message or a talk, you know, I'm researching, I'm writing, I'm kind of looking for areas in my own life where I'm, where I'm kind of doing this well, and I've kind of experienced it, and I've got it. But when it comes to the area of finances, I feel like I'm more of a novice than a master. I feel like there's a lot of areas of improvement. I kind of look at my past, how I've handled money, and I feel a lot of guilt, and I feel a lot of shame. Like, there's things I wish I did better. There's decisions I wished I had made differently. And, and so, you know, when I come to you, you know, you know kind of to share with you, it's not as someone who's kind of gotten this stuff figured out. It's someone who's a learner. Like, I'm with you, sitting in the chairs, taking notes, learning from Pastor Tim and people that have come before me and who are able to kind of, uh, you know, dispense wisdom. So I'm really grateful for some of the ground rules that we've established here at Liquid Church when it comes to talking about finances. First, you need to know this is a guilt-free conversation. Guilt-free conversation. One of the things that we say here at Liquid Church, we print it on our pens, is that faith is a journey, not a what? Guilt trip. Absolutely. All of us are in different places when it comes to our finances. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are doing well. And there's always a place where God is saying, I'm challenging you to take that next step so that you can grow in your faith by managing your finances well. And here's really our heart with this series uh, at Liquid. Our heart is this, is we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. Today, we want to help you take that next step to grow in your relationship with Christ. We want you to have intimacy with Jesus. Even something like uh, fasting, for instance. Fasting is where we kind of say no to food so we can say yes to God. It's so we can make this distinction that, you know, our food doesn't rule us, but Jesus rules us. The same thing is with tithing. We're, we're saying that our money isn't in charge of our lives. Jesus is in charge of our lives. And Jesus understands this because he knows that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so when we talk about money, let's be honest, it's a little awkward, it's a little strange, right? But we have to do it because the way the world and society looks at money is very different than the way Jesus looks at money. 
And so we kind of need to see how does Jesus see money versus the way the world t- does. And so our world kind of has this attitude, which is to aspire to acquire, right? We need to aspire to acquire, right? What you have is not enough. You need more. You know, you need a bigger house. You need to go beyond the starter home. You know, rather than driving that beat up car, you need to lease a Jeep, right? Or, or, or something like that. Rather than, you know, having your, your phone, you need to upgrade to the iPhone 10 because everyone has one, but you don't, right? Or, you know, it's vacation time. It's like, you know, we already maxed out our card. So let's put the vacation on a new card and kind of keep going from there, right? That, that's kind of how we live, right? That, that's aspiring to acquire. And if we keep living into that mentality, it's going to lead to material bondage and it's also going to lead to spiritual bondage. You know, the other day, I was uh, talking to a girl. She had just graduated college. I said, you must be super excited. You're, you're done with college. You can move on. She goes, yeah, I'm excited, but I'm super nervous as well because... You know, I just got the bill back, and every month I'm going to have to pay over $1,000 in student loans. i got to work a job that I don't really like because I, I have to pay this debt off, and I just feel like I'm a slave to the debt. And that's what she feels like. She feels like she can't move forward because of this debt she's got on her back. You know, the other day I was also um, kind of, you know, in the grocery store, and uh, I ran into a friend of mine, um, and, you know, we've got kids the same age, and I go, hey, what's going on with your kids? Like, he's like, oh, you know, we got a crazy summer planned, you know, they're going to sleepaway camp, and computer camp, and, and horseback riding camp, and, you know, he's going to all these different things. Oh, then we got season passes for, for great adventure, and, and the zoo, and the aquarium. It's gonna be a great summer. They're gonna have so much fun. I go, yeah, it sounds like an intense summer. Like, it's gonna be a good time. And then he said, well, Nathan, if I can be honest with you, I don't know how we're gonna afford this summer. Like, I literally have just put in putting everything on my credit cards because I don't want my kids to miss out. They're so excited about all these different things that they get to do that they're like, if we miss out on this, like, you know, their friends are going to make fun of them and look down. I, I, just, I just couldn't tell them no. And, you know, the other day, I was actually in our lobby out here, and I was talking to a guy, he must have been in his uh, about 70s, and he said, you know, Nathan, I'm, I'm leaving my job. I go, oh, yeah, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, you're retiring, going down to sunny Florida, getting ready to hit the links. You know, I don't know anything about golf, so I think you hit links, right? <laughs> so, you know, I'm just, you know, kind of chatting with him, and he just kind of looks at me and goes, no, I actually need to find another job. You say, I got kind of pushed out of my job, and so now I need to, like, find something else because they said I was too old. And so, Nathan, you know, I've been living this life where I've been living in the moment, and now the moment's come where we've got nothing saved for retirement. So I got to keep going. I got to keep working. Oh, that was, it was so heartbreaking hearing him say that. And, and I remember just thinking, you know, in, in a lot of ways, somewhere in there is our story, right, when it comes to finances and money. Somewhere in there, you know, whether it's not saving enough or not having enough or struggling with it, we, we all kind of live in this place where we're like, oh, we got to get better. But, you know, here's what I think about finances. It's not just about managing your money better. It's not just about having better habits or, or having some sort of impulse control. I really think more than anything else, our finances is actually a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual issue really deep down inside. I mean, Think about it. When you read the New Testament, Jesus talks more about money than any other topic in the entire New Testament. He talks more about money than heaven and hell. He talks more about money than sex. He talks more about money than miracles. And the reason is that money is Jesus' number one competitor for our hearts. We're either going to love money or we're going to love Jesus. In fact, here's how he puts it in um, Matthew 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or you're going to love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
You can't serve both God and money. There's a conflict of allegiances here. It's a divided loyalty. If you want to love money, you're going to despise God and others. The word despise means to look down upon, which means you're going to look up to wealth and, and money and all those things to give you life, to give you security, but God and other people, you're just going to look down on them. It's what the Bible calls the spirit of mammon. It's the spirit of mammon. Mammon is a Greek word for money that's used here. It actually comes from a mining term. And what mammon means, it's this idea that, you know, you draw your life from below and not from above. You're, you're getting your life from what you can see and touch and taste rather than from God above as our true provider. And here's the danger that Jesus is trying to warn us about, is that mammon can dominate our lives. And as American Christians, we're especially susceptible for this. We can start to get fooled into this sinful lie that says that we get all of our, you know, everything that we have, everything that we need to provide for us, we get from our employers, our 401ks, all of our stuff, rather than God. And it's a lie that dominates our lives. In fact, there's another word for this in our culture. You know what that word is? It's greed. Greed. In fact, I love Andy Stanley's definition of greed. He says this, greed is the assumption it's all for my what? Consumption. Greed is the assumption, it's all for my consumption. So it's this idea that everything I have is for me. Like, I went to work, I got all this money, so I'm going to spend it, I'm going to make it rain everywhere, right? YOLO, you only live once, right? We, we spend, spend, spend. But if you don't spend it, maybe you hoard it. Like, I got to keep this. Every dollar I got to keep, I got to keep because it keeps me safe, it keeps me secure. I don't have enough to give. I don't have enough to be generous. I got to keep it mine, it's mine, 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 precious, Right? Whether you spend it or you hoard it, it's all motivated by that same root, that spirit of mammon that says, it's got to be about me. So I got a question for you. Here's my question. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you have money or does your money have you? Now, there's a huge difference between the two of these. Money can be a wonderful tool. We can bless people with it. We can be generous with it. We can uh, have a huge impact with it. But money can be a terrible taskmaster. And right behind are the relatives of anxiety, stress, and fear. So for us today, we need to remember what the dollar bill says, right? In God, we what? Trust. In God we trust. What if we actually believed that? What if we actually lived to, by the reality that it's God that we trust, not money, not the spirit of mammon? Well, today I want to share with you four super, super practical principles where we can destroy the power of mammon in our lives. Super practical principles, you can actually start doing them today. So if you're a college student or maybe, you know, mom and dad, you're sitting with one of your high school kids, this is a great message for them to kind of start kind of thinking about now. But I want to share you four principles that you can kind of put into practice now. If you have the Liquid Church app, we have the notes in there that you can follow along. The first principle I want to look at is this. It's to plan your spending. Plan your spending. You know, when we live according to the spirit of mammon, we live according to the power of almighty dollar. We live according to the principles and realities of this society, which is cream. You guys know what I mean by that? Cash rules everything around me, cream, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Come on, it's never too early for Wu-Tang. All right, that's good. We're awake, great. So 
yeah, we live by these worldly principles that it's all about the money that we have rather than the principles of Jesus. Now, when it comes to, to kind of managing our money, there are kind of three big categories that we have to keep in mind, right? The first category that we have to think about is what are we going to spend our money on? What do we spend our money on? And this is everything like food, clothing, shelter, um, caramel macchiatos, the essentials in life, right? So, you know, for this one, we kind of put the most of what we, you know, what we make in here, right? Because we got to make sure that we survive. And then the second is saving. Say the word save with me. Save. For many of you, that was the first time you've ever said that word. <laughs> well done. And so for savings, like maybe our company has like a 401k or something so we can, you know, put a little bit in savings, something like that. Um, and then, of course, there's give. This is like, you know, if there's a hurricane or something happens, it kind of ties your, your heartstrings or something like that, and you're like, oh, man, I really want to give something, so maybe I'll just take a little bit out of here. And All right, yeah, I'm generous, right? And this is kind of how we live managing our finances, but the problem is that this is all very me-centered. And it's like we're living for this life, and it's as if all that there is is this world right here today. What happens is when we live with these priorities in mind to spend, save, and give in this order, what happens is that we're living like practical atheists, where we believe that God exists, but, you know, we don't live as if he does. So how do we reprioritize this? How do we live differently? Well, what the Bible tells us is rather than kind of living on what you need to do first, we have to give first, to, to live by giving to God first and others and then saving, and then living on the rest. These are kind of the foundations for biblical stewardship. In fact, this is something I was teaching my daughter, Selah, the other day. My daughter, Selah, she's seven. Um, I gave her some chores, and so she's got this new allowance, $5 a week. And so this past week, I was kind of walking through this idea of kind of give, save, and spend, and, and how to do that. And so, sweetie, here's your $5 for the week. Now, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to give to God first. So what's 10% of $5? And she said, I don't know, Dad, what's 10% of $5? I said, I don't know, let's ask your mom. And so my wife Jackie says, it's 50 cents. So the first 10% goes to God. And then, and then Sale's like, okay, okay. Then I said, Sale, I want you to also be saving money. Saving's a good thing. She's like, oh yeah, Daddy, I totally want to save because I want to one day go to Disney. And so that's, that's what she's focused in on. She's got to be, she wants to meet the mouse. Also, 10% goes to savings. And so, you know, she's got 10% in there for savings. And then I said, Sale, here's the coolest part. You get to live on 80%. You get to, to get to live on the rest and you can save it for ice cream and candy and dental bills, all the things that you'd want to do. And so, you know, she's really excited about that. And guys, the reason why I want to teach my daughter how to do this is because for most of us, we get bad financial habits from our parents and our families of origin. The way we think about money, the way we feel about money, the way we handle money, many of us have kind of been given a kind of a way of seeing money that's kind of been negative. It's actually been anti-biblical. I mean, for many of us, we have it, but for a lot, a lot of people I talk to, we have. And so one of the things the scriptures command us to do is kind of take off those old ways, take off those old patterns, remove the blinders, and actually start to kind of set a foundation that's way better. I want to give this to my daughter as early as possible. And as you can kind of see from these things, I'm teaching my daughter how to do the dreaded B word, and that's budget. Say the word budget with me budget. That's right, the dreaded B word. And really all a budget is, I'm going to steal this definition from Dave Ramsey, it's telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. 
That's really what a budget is. It's kind of like the first, kind of the foundation stone here. Once you kind of give to God first, it's kind of telling your money where to go. In fact, this concept of planning where our money goes, it's a biblical concept. In fact, it says this in Luke 14. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, right? Won't you first sit down and and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are able to finish, and not able to finish it, everyone who sees it's going to ridicule saying, that person began to build it, and wasn't able to finish. Guys, a budget, this here, it's simply planned spending. It's telling your money where it's going to go before you actually spend it in advance. Because if you don't plan where your money's going to go, your money has a mind of its own, and it's going to start going places you don't want it to go. In fact, one of the ways that that happens is through impulse buying. You know, impulse buying, that whole aisle, like buy where you, like when you check out your groceries, right? Like you start impulse buying anything and everything that kind of comes to mind. And the only way you can deal with impulse buying, the only way you can deal with the impulses is you have to get this. You got to nip it in the budget. You got to nip it in the budget. Turn to the person next to you, say nip it in the budget. (laughs) Nip it in the budget. Because listen, a budget is a plan. And if you fail to plan, you plan to what? You plan to fail. Guys, making a budget is actually an act of faith. It's saying, God, I'm going to live on what you've called me to live on. I'm going to live on on this. I'm not going to go above my means, but I'm going to live in the place that you've called me to live. That's what this means. Guys, if we want to say, I am no longer serving Almighty Dollar and I'm serving Almighty God, then here's what we need to do. We need to plan our spending. Plan your spending. Know in advance where your money is going to go, which leads us to the second biblical principle, which is to keep good records. Keep good records. It says in Proverbs 27, verses 23 to 24, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. So how many of you have flocks of goats and um, cows and things like that? Yeah, you know, this is one of those verses that kind of goes over our heads pretty, pretty easily. But in the times when the Bible was written, most people were farmers and ranchers. It was an agrarian culture. So they understood the idea, you got to know the quality of the animals that are in your flock. You got to take care of them, make sure they're getting fed and all these other things. But what if we updated this verse? Instead of saying, be sure you know the condition of your flocks, what if we said, be sure you know the condition of your stocks? Let me ask you this, just kind of honest, kind of self-reflection question here. Would you know within $100 of how much money you owe, like how much debt do you have? Do you know that within like how much, like within 100 bucks? How about, do you know somewhere within $100, like how much you spend during the month? Do you know where your money's going? Do you know about how much you save? Because we need to have, be aware of kind of where our money is going. Like, it's great to have a plan, but are we working the plan? And that's why it's important to keep good records. And so whenever we're kind of keeping records, there's four things that we need to be aware of. We need to know what I owe. What do you own? So this could be, you know, do you own your house, your cars? How much is it worth? What do you own? The second is, what do you earn? What do you earn? How much do you make? What, what are the revenue streams that are in your bank account? And then the third is, what do I owe? Student loans, car loans, uh, any kind of credit card debt. What do you owe? Are you aware of that? And could you kind of answer that if I asked you right here and there? And then where it goes. Do you know where your money is going? Because if we think our money is going to certain categories and it's not going there, well, then we have a problem. 
And we need to kind of start kind of making tweaks. But if you're like me, this can be kind of overwhelming. You're like, I, I want to I I give, give here and, and, and save here and spend this, but it's really hard to keep track of. It can be kind of overwhelming. It's going in my account. It's coming out of my account. How do I figure out where it's just, what's going where? And guys, I'm really grateful that we have all these like apps right now that can help manage money. Like, you know, there's like mint.com. I know that for me, the one app I use is Every Dollar. This is put out by the Dave Ramsey company. Um, what's great about this app is you can actually put your entire budget on here. So I've got my budget on here. There's like a paid version and a free version. And with the paid version, it actually connects into your bank account. So whatever you're spending your money on, you can actually, it'll actually kind of bring it into the app and you can kind of put it in its different budget categories. So if you have a food budget and, you know, you go food shopping and you can put it right in there, it's really super convenient. You can get it on your phone as well. And this has really been a game changer in our household and how we handle our finances. I remember when we were first kind of getting our financial life in order, I kept going, why are we always overspending in these different areas? Like, why do we always have too much money here that we're using here and there? So finally, I was tracking my money using every dollar and I realized there were things that I would actually forget to like set aside in the budget that we just buy anyway because we need them. Things like, you know, clothes for the kids. You know, they keep growing out of the ones I get them. So I have to always get them new ones, right? It's frustrating. So, you know, getting new clothes for them or any kind of school stuff or any kind of miscellaneous things I always forget. So we created a new category and we're now a lot more kind of on top of it. But I wouldn't have known how to do that if I didn't have the app. So this app is great, especially if you're trying to live out those two biblical principles. The first one being to plan your spending, to know where your money is going, having an app, or maybe you like use Excel spreadsheets or whatever it is you use, but use a tool to help you plan your spending and then keep good records. Know where your money is going and make sure it's going where you expect it to go, because if it's not, see what tweaks you need to make in the system to keep going. And this brings me to the third principle, which is to save money faithfully. Just to save money faithfully. Save money faithfully. So the average uh, European, they save about 18% of their income. The average Japanese person saves about 25% of their income. Do you know how much the average American saves? We overspend by 1%. This is why Japan is going to rule our country at some point, right? But, you know, we kind of live with this whole aspire to acquire mentality, right? We need to have more, more, more. But what happens is we end up, you know, many people are going to get to the point where they hit retirement and they're going to have nothing left for their savings. Proverbs 13.1 really gives us some helpful advice. It says this, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So, so here's kind of the truth we can grab from this. We need to save money now. Whoever gathers money little by little, it says, it's going to grow. In fact, if you start in your 20s and 30s, you'll have more money there. You can even keep saving in your 40s and 50s. What you don't want to do is start saving when it's too late, when it's at the end. But right now, if you can start saving, then start saving. Because here's the thing about, about saving, guys, is you can save the money and you can invest some of it, and then your money starts to work for you. You can kind of invest money, and, and then what happens is it accrues interest, and it's able to kind of be something where it, it kind of works for you in that sense. And, you know, the guiding principle, just kind of like I was teaching my daughter, Selah, is that you give 10%, you save 10%, and then you live on the rest. It's a 10-10-80 principle. And if some of you are looking at me going, dude, I cannot do that. That is, is just crazy to me. Then there may be something wrong in your priorities. You see, if you can't do the 10-10-80 principle, this is kind of like the check engine light in your financial dashboard. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. I mean, this is something that we're still working on in our own lives as well. But there's so much that God wants to do in your life. There's so much that he wants to unleash and release 
that he doesn't want let, to let finances be a barrier to that for you in your life. In fact, if we can get to this place where we can start to save, it's not so that one day when we get older we'll be okay and comfortable. It's so we can actually leave a legacy to the next generation. Look at Proverbs 13.22. It says this, A good person leaves a what? Inheritance for their children's children. So mom and dad, if I could just talk to you real quick. Are you going to leave behind to your kids a debt or a legacy? Are you going to leave behind a debt that's going to put them in a deficit or a legacy that they can stand on and continue to move forward? Guys, this is something that, you know, I've really actually gotten a chance to see firsthand in the life of my mom. So my mom, uh, she's been a nurse for about 30, 40 years, and she's always been a hard worker. We'd call her the Energizer Bunny because she just couldn't stop. She'd keep going and going and going. And so she worked at this hospital in their health services department. Then after that, she'd do the overnight shift at a local hospital, and she did this for like 20 years. And one of the things that was kind of interesting is that, you know, my mom, she made all this extra money, but, you know, she never used it on herself. She never, you know, took these nice vacations with it, but she saved it and she invested it. And then she took that money and used it in the two things she loved more than anything else, which was Jesus and her kids. And so my mom took her that money. And if you actually go to South India, there are churches that exist there because my mom funded them. She funded these churches. Yeah, give God a praise. So that literally she just said, you need a church? Here's the money. Go build a church. And all over South India, that she's got this legacy that's there. It's really incredible. And I remember when I was um, kind of looking at doing graduate school, getting my master's degree, and, I, and I, you know, I didn't want debt. I didn't want, you know, all this kind of stuff there. So I thought, I'm just going to go as I can pay for it, and I could afford my first semester, and I was excited. But then I couldn't afford my second semester. I was like, all right, I guess I'll take a break or go part-time or something like that. And so I was just kind of making this decision. I, I, I was talking to my mom about it. And my mom said to me, you know, I've noticed that you've been saving. I noticed that you're kind of doing everything you can so you can afford your second semester. But here's what I want to do. I actually want to pay for you to get your master's degree. I was like, Mom, you can't do that. I mean, I, I can make this work. It'll just take longer than I think. She said, no, no, no. I really want you to have a master's degree, and so I'm going to pay for the whole thing. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm a pastor today is because of the legacy that my mom gave to me because she wanted to, again, bless the next generation, us, her kids, but also the world around her. And so I kind of look at that, and I'm like, man, I want to do that for my kids. I want to leave them a legacy where I can help them get to the next level in their faith, where I can leave them something to say, hey, we're going to invest this in God's kingdom. We're going to invest this in the generations that come after us. And guys, if we can live out of this practical way, if we can start making efforts to give and to save and to spend, this is the biblical foundation for it. This is the financial foundation for it. And it's practical and it's true. We can do this. Let me just kind of review kind of the three kind of principles that we looked at first. The first is to plan your spending. You know, create that budget. Know where you want your money to go, and then keep good records. If you know where you, your money is going, make sure it's going there. And then the third is to save money faithfully. Saving a little bit over a long time is going to have a huge impact. And then the fourth principle I want to look at is this. It's to act your wage. Act your wage. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, act your wage. All right. Listen, this is truly a counter-cultural measure. If we can act our wage, it's like we're waging against the machine, right? Because the majority of Americans, you know, we don't live like this. We either are living above our means, but we're definitely, some of us are maybe living within our means, but we're definitely not living below our means. But I want you to imagine 
with me. Imagine this with me. Imagine you, you decide that, you know what, I'm going to live at 90% of my income. I'm, I'm going to live on the 90%. Or, you know, no, no. I'm going to live on, on 80%. I'm going to live on 80%. But, you know, maybe, maybe I'll live on 70%. I'll live on 70% of my income. And I know some of you are thinking, you're like, dude, why would you want to do that? Because it says this in Proverbs 21.20, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, which means there's reserves, there's extra, there, there, there's, there's a surplus. But then it says this, but a fool devours all he has. So if you come to this place where you're like, I'm living on 70%, but what would I do with that? Well, this is kind of where it gets fun. This is where you can actually be genuinely generous. You ever have this happen where a friend of yours, you ask, hey, how you doing? And then they actually tell you the truth. You're just like, no, I just want to say hi and move on. <laughs> but they're like, you know, but, but they're honest with you. They're like, you know, we, we just had this uh, health bill come in, and I don't know how we're going to pay for it. Um, my, my transmission just blew, and I don't know how we're going to fix it. And I know all of us, we would love to be like, yeah, man, I wish I could help you. Let me pray for you. But wouldn't it be incredible if we could actually say, Oh, dude, that's terrible. I feel really bad. Here, 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 here. Take this. Why don't you go pay that medical bill? Get that transmission fixed. You see, if we can take this radical step and actually cap our spending and actually live beneath our means, we can be genuinely generous. We can actually help the poor. We, we can actually bless other people who are struggling or in those places. And we can actually be generous in some amazing, amazing ways. You know, when I was in graduate school, I was living in the city of Boston, and I was doing an internship with a community development organization. We're living in one of the poorest parts of the city. And so, you know, I'm doing an internship, so I'm not making any money. Um, didn't really have time to work another job, but I'm kind of doing, you know, things here or there just to kind of make ends meet. Was really having a tough time. But while I was doing this, um, there were all these different small groups that were meeting, and uh, they were all called Lazarus at the Gates. So Lazarus at the gates, and really it was based on the story of Lazarus and the rich man. So Lazarus was this man who was begging at the gates of this rich man. The rich man would kind of see him and just blow him off. And, and, and really the idea is that because of globalization, the global poor are closer to us than we've ever realized. Like they're re literally in our, in our lives. And literally the majority of the world is living on $2 or less a day. And as Americans, we control about 98% of the wealth in the world. It's incredible statistics. And so as we were kind of learning about this, one of the things that we wanted to do in this group is we wanted to learn how do we live more simply so we could give more generously? How do we live more simply so we could give more generously? And so one of the first things we did in this group was we actually, we made a budget. And so we're making these budgets and we're kind of sharing them. And you know, I remember the day I came in with my budget. I'm like, guys, here's my budget. I really don't know what else I can cut. Like, I've cut things as much as possible to live as simply as, as I could. And then um, someone said to me, well, you know, Nathan, I noticed that your eating out budget is really big. What if you maybe took some money out of that eating out budget, you learned to cook and went, got groceries, and, uh, you know, you could actually give a little bit more. And guys, that was tough because I, I love eating out. And like, <laughs> Applebee's is like my second office. So I was like, oh! I'll, I'll see what I can do. And so, you know, I took that step of faith, and it was tough. But we, that's what we did for everybody. We combed through our budget to see what do we need to live less on? What do we need to sell? How can we be more generous with what God has given us? And this is incredible. This is really a God thing, because, you know, we're all a bunch of college students, grad students, and, like, you know, people working with, you know, in, in nonprofits. 
But we were able to scrounge together in that year and be able to give $40,000 to the cause of fighting global poverty both in the city of Boston and beyond. Can we just give God a praise for that? Because this wasn't something that we could do on our own, but this was something by setting and living through biblical foundations that we said, we're going to do this. And maybe you're here kind of looking at me going, dude, this is New Jersey. Like, there's no way that we, I, we can do that. It's just impractical. It's not real. And listen, I get it, guys. I get it. Because I, that's something that I aspire to. I want to aspire to be at a place where I can be so generous that it just kind of flows right out of me. Because here's what I believe more than anything else. I believe that generosity is a choice. Generosity is a choice. We can flex our generosity muscles and make them stronger. But the only way that happens is if we make the choice to say, God, I want you to be the first in my life. I want you to be the one running my finances so that I can be more generous, so I can be used by you in bigger and better ways. Which brings us back to that first question that we looked at. Do you have money or does your money have you? Do you have money? Or does your money have you? Are you more willing to do what it takes to bless other people? Or are you more willing to do what it takes to keep what you already have? And to answer this question, we've got to go back to those four biblical principles of money management. Are you planning your spending? Do you know where your money is going to go before you even use it? Are you planning that out? Are, are you keeping good records? Do you know how your money's going? Is it going where you're telling it to go? Or is it, you know, talking back? And are you saving money faithfully? A little bit goes a long, long way. And finally, are you acting your wage? Are you acting your wage? Are you living in such a way beneath your means that you can be a blessing to other people when they ask for it? Because guys, the reality is handling our money can actually have a great, great impact. Because our faithfulness to what God gives us leads to greater fruitfulness. I want to close with this one verse in Luke chapter 16. It says this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with a very, very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You see, God wants you to trust him with your money. But here's the crazy thing. God actually is the one who's given you the ability to make the money that you have and your possessions and your wealth. He's actually given that to you. And here's the principle. If you are faithful in small ways, God promises that you'll be fruitful in big ways. If you are faithful in small ways and the small things that God has given you, he says that you're going to be fruitful in big ways. If we learn to manage the money he's given us with integrity, it'll be incredible to see how he's going to be, bring fruit in our own lives that we can enjoy. Guys, remember, everything that we have is a gift from God. Everything here is a gift from God. But the question is, how are we going to live our lives? Are we going to live our lives and put ourselves first and say, hey God, it's just about me first. I'm going to aspire to acquire. and It's all about kind of getting more stuff and bigger stuff so I can feel safe and secure in, in my money? Or are we going to take the radical step and say, you know what, God? I want to surrender all of this to you. Jesus, you can have all of it. You can have it all. 
Maybe for some of you, you're here today and you're struggling with your finances. And you're like, Nathan, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I don't even know how I'm gonna get through it. Your first step is to say, Jesus, I'm gonna surrender it all to you. What I have, what I spend, what I overspent, I'm gonna surrender all of it to you, Jesus. But maybe you're here today and you're not struggling with finance. You're like, I'm, I'm feeling pretty comfortable. Things are pretty good. But maybe deep down in your heart, you know it's because you put your trust more in your money than in your Messiah. More in your cash than your Christ. And Jesus is saying to you, you need to surrender this all to me. You can have it all, Jesus. Because at the end of the day, we're going to stand before Jesus. He's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you make it about yourself? Or did you make it about me? And expanding my kingdom. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Father, right now, I just pray that you would, uh, your spirit would bring that question to our minds. Does our money have us? Or do we have our money? Father, I pray right now for those who are struggling just to make ends meet, God, because this is a season where things are tight, where things are strapped. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would just fill them with your spirit, that they would know that you are the one that's going to care for their needs. Not money, not finances, but you. God, I pray for those of us who, you know, we, we are doing great. But Lord, we know deep down inside We've been trusting more in our ability to make money in our wealth than in you, Jesus. Father, I pray that we'd all come to a place of surrender. That we would say, Jesus, you can have it all. You can have all of our funds. You can have all of how we use it, God. So that we can experience genuine generosity in a world that's so broken and so needy of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.